Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of the Just Go Bike podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about bicycling across the entire nation and beyond, biking culture, biking fun. Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. I'm Kyle Munson, one of the many co-hosts, and, you know, I hope this summer that you either are or have enjoyed your virtual RAGBRAI, you know, the Register's annual Great Bicycle Ride Across Iowa, which is a big part of this show, and like nearly every event this summer has had to go online. But, you know, I'm here in this episode to talk about somebody who has been bicycling across the entire United States. The cross-country bike track is sort of the classic American pursuit for many bicyclists, and you know, I'll be honest, a lot of times for an intro, an outro, or any part of a podcast, I'll at least draw up some sort of a rough outline or, or some notes, but all bets are off because, uh, to be honest, again, this interview sort of blew my mind. I was able to talk to Scott Edwards, and he is a, a Harvard professor, a professor of evol- evolutionary biology, who has been bicycling across the country. So this is the this is the rare interview where we talk about everything from evolutionary biology to Black Lives Matter to Black Birders Week to why he's riding a surly bicycle to his preferred route across the country, how his daughter's previous bicycling trip inspired this one, informed this trip. Um, thoughts on so many things. So I know you don't come here for Harvard lectures or, uh, uh, you know, for factoids such as uh, just how majority of the birds in the world originated in Australia. Um, or, uh, But you do come here for a lot of biking stories, and that's what this is. I mean, this guy has been uh, drenched in Indiana. He's enjoyed the Lus Hills of western Iowa. I caught up with him when he was camped out in South Dakota after he'd spent five weeks on his bicycle. Uh, he lives in Concord, Massachusetts, near Walden Pond. And he's just a fascinating fellow. And you can follow him on Twitter, Scott V. Edwards 1, Scott V. Edwards and the number one on Twitter. He's been gaining quite the following, and we were lucky to have him on the podcast. So without further ado, let's learn about the bicycling adventures of Scott Edwards on Just Go Bike. Well, Scott Edwards, thank you for joining the Just Go Bike podcast from along the road from your bicycle, from your campsite, I guess, and where, remind listeners, where are you as I speak to you this evening? I am in South Dakota at the Lewis and Clark State Recreation and Park uh, area. So I'm talking to you, I mean, you, uh, you're a professor of biology from, from Harvard and, uh, you know, school that some people might have heard of in Massachusetts. And I, you know, you are, you have embarked on one of the, you know, just kind of one of the classic American adventures, I would say, the cross-country bicycle ride. And people do it for millions, it seems like millions of different sorts of reasons. Now, you, when did you first set out from the East Coast? I set out on June 6th from Newburyport, Massachusetts. I wanted to uh, dip my wheels in the Atlantic, so to speak. And that was the easiest place to do that. Uh, I, I normally live in Concord, Massachusetts, about uh, 25 miles outside of Boston. And um, yeah, so I've been going about uh, five weeks now, I guess. Um, yeah, it's been going well. 
Wow. So, so many different questions I have, uh, you know, to ask you about this odyssey. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I just need to say that I, I, I love Massachusetts, took a drive with my family across the state a couple of years ago. You know, we uh, stopped and walked around Walden Pond and we were visiting oh, yeah. ma- many schools. Um, I live very close to Walden Pond. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I totally understand the allure of the place. So did you... I mean, did you fall in love with uh, the countryside as a bicyclist, as a as a young boy, or did you come to bicycling later in life? I uh, was lucky enough to, although I you know, I grew up in New York City, which actually has a lot of nature if you look for it, um, and I grew up in a little corner of the Bronx called Riverdale, which actually had lots of trees back in the 70s, and you know, my first bike tour was in college. I worked for this... Uh, company called the student hosteling program actually i was a assistant leader for uh, some trips in new england and then some one trip a year later in uh, europe and uh that's really you know I, I i just think bike touring is a great way to see uh, a place whether it's your own uh state or whether it's someplace exotic um and I, you know, I've done recreational biking over the years and I just, this was on my bucket list to sort of ride across the country. And, uh, yeah, I, I like your description actually of the classic American adventure. I mean, it really is, it's, it's big enough in scale, ambitious enough, challenging, you know, not guaranteed of success. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I just, I love it. It's, it's just vast. I, 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 I really, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Now, you set off on a mission. I think initially, as I read it someplace, your mission was to try to uh, bring more diversity to STEM education, you know, science, uh, what, technology, engineering, and math. Um, that was your original concept? Well, I've been doing that and working towards that for my whole career. Um, as one of the few African Americans in my uh discipline subdiscipline of biology which is evolutionary biology um i've always worked towards increasing diversity of you know lots of talent out there that basically gets passed by and they don't a lot of students don't realize that we need their uh insight and their curiosity and their, their skills and i should emphasize the bike trip definitely did not start as a kind of a <laughs> an extension of my career um, it was strictly a personal adventure. And um, that said, pretty soon into the trip, it did uh, change its tenor a bit. And um, that's actually been a lot of fun. It's uh, given it a whole new dimension. In addition to the personal travel fun aspect, it's given me, you know, something to sort of talk to people about as I, uh, as I meet them in either a campground or a small town or wherever. Such a remarkable year to be bicycling across the country with everything we've faced. I mean, the least predictable year in, in my memory. I have questions about just how you're coping with the pandemic side of things. But first, let's continue you know, talking about the social justice, civil rights side of things, because you know, a year of really confronting uh, systemic racism and uh, you know, the rise, uh, more prominent rise of Black Lives Matter across the world, around the world, so this became, I mean, this was something you were dwelling on as you got into the journey, and it just became a more explicit part of your ride, your well, quest? Yeah, I mean, I had, I did a couple homestays at the very beginning of the trip, and that was necessitated because a lot of the campgrounds 
in Massachusetts and Southern New Hampshire were actually uh, closed because of the virus. And so I had to figure out a way to stay someplace on my times on my schedule. And it, I happened to stay with a lady who lives in Schenectady, uh, New York. You're probably familiar with uh, warmshowers.org. It's a mm-hmm. popular. And, you know, she looked at my profile and she immediately texted me and said, hey, are you involved with Black Birders Week, which was a, a Twitter trend uh, at the end of May, I think. And, you know, that's a really amazing for someone to ask that question. Uh, first of all, very few people, even if you were a birder, even knew about Black Birders Week. Um, and it was just surprising to me to, you know, have this white lady uh, ask that question. And so anyway, that and combined with my, you know, I, I honestly, I felt a little bit, I mean, some of my, I could imagine someone making a case, a bike trip at this time was somehow irresponsible. I mean, I, I, I could accept that because, I mean, it is a pandemic. Uh, I'm crossing state boundaries. Um, I'm, you know, leaving my family for a couple months. And st- some would say that that was, that's just, you know, you don't have to do that. It's too much of an indulgence. Anyway, and so I, I that and, and, and realizing that there are people risking their own lives uh, protesting in the streets after the uh, in the wake of George Floyd and the uh, Black Birder incident in Central Park, and I just said, "Let's do something." And and I knew that lady could pull it off. So we made some signs. I, I within 24 hours, she made some beautiful vinyl signs. It was just great because I knew I just knew she could pull this off in short order. And also, I it turns out I had I had actually joined Twitter, which I. You thought you'd joined, never never join social media in that way, huh? I, I had a Facebook account, but I never post. I rarely post stuff. And, you know, I joined Twitter because of Black Birders Week. I just said, this is too close to home to miss. And, you know, sure enough, it was a huge revelation for me. I started posting stuff. And the, one of my first posts was, uh, hey, the bike trip has taken on a new... Uh, a new goal and you know there's a picture of me with the black lives matter signs on my bicycle and yeah it just really created a stir among you know my colleagues and uh it's really changed the whole tenor of the trip and um i think for the better it's it's given me a bit of a purpose i won't i won't claim that you know i'm organizing workshops every town i pass through but people see the signs and uh you know i gauge their reaction and and talk about stuff and it gives a real avenue for for outreach and um and you know i'm i'm convinced that my trip would have been very different if i were, were not if i didn't have these signs all over my bike yeah wow i mean any uh, any tense moments or difficult moments or or uh, are people mostly willing to engage you in a conversation no you know no tense moments certainly I, you know there's disappointing moments and Honestly, as a scientist, I know you need like replication and you need uh, controls to really figure out what's going on. And so, for example, when a lady in uh, Illinois, uh, when I rode up to her house, you know, surrounded by cornfields, vast amounts of space, it was the one day I kind of said I'm going to just find some a place to tent on the fly. And, you know, she saw the signs on my bike and literally said, you're not staying here with those signs on your bike. 
<laughs> oh man! Actually, actually, that that incident didn't require any replication. She really kind of nailed it, and it was pretty clear why. Now, if you know, had I been white with those signs, there's lots of there's lots of unanswered questions. Yeah, but it's clear that it's clear that you know. And I just felt that was extremely disappointing to me. Um, you know, you think about. I tried to engage her briefly, say, hey, you know, this is not about violence and mayhem. It's not about looting, which is, I think, what she associated with Black Lives Matter. It's just about trying to demand some justice in at the at the hands of the police. And she just she wouldn't have any of it. Wow. So so that's, you know, it's but, you know, it's a learning experience. And um, I ended up actually finding a very, very sympathetic household to stay with that night. So the story ends well. But yeah, you learn stuff, and 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 I should have. But that that was the one. I would say that I've had that, and maybe one other incident that was unsavory. But other than that, people have been either you know, people haven't engaged, which is fine, uh, or they've just been super nice, uh, generous. I mean, the generosity I've seen on the road. I, I wonder whether most solo bike tours see as much generosity as i've seen it's it's extraordinary i mean literally i people will literally today when i was coming through uh yankton this lady nearly tackled me on my bicycle with a five dollar bill <laughs> and she said go buy yourself a cold drink at casey's <laughs> and i like, i was like thank you so much i i didn't want to stop i didn't accept it but i said thank you so much and i just wonder what was it about my look that caused her to do that. Was it the signs? Was it that I was alone? Was it that I was black? I have no idea. Um, but, uh, you know, the amount of generosity I've seen is it's, 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 it's really, really humbling. And it's very, very, it's, it's, it, it gives me some hope, frankly. Um, I think, you know, 99% of the vast majority of people are, are super nice and generous. And uh, we can't let these, the, the one or two, unsavory incidents uh, influence our, uh, our our outlook. Yeah. Well, no, I love that. You know, I should tell some of our listeners that uh, Casey's uh, is a ubiquitous convenience store throughout the Midwest, and so that's why she was sending you to Casey's for your drink and uh, for some right, of our listeners. You'd, you'd think by now I would have had gotten a Casey card and a Casey number because I've stopped at so many Casey's. <laughs> and I also... But... <laughs> And I also should tell listeners that your uh, Twitter handle is Scott V Edwards one. So Scott V Edwards and the number one is where to find you on Twitter. And you've, I love how you've been chronicling your journey there. So good job. Uh, everything from bird songs to photos to, to just observations. Now, I, how old are you, Scott? I'm 57. 57. So, I mean, I wonder experiencing this, but also just you know, being a, a just a, a thinking aware person in the world, an African American man, do you feel like there is real change happening this year compared to, you know, decades past? You know, it's hard to say. I think African Americans and many communities of color know not to get too excited about stuff like this. I mean, even um you know, change is incremental. I mean, even, you know, when Martin Luther King was able to get the Civil Rights Act passed in 65, that was that was a big step. But he knew that there was lots more work to get done. You know, whether this is the year of change, it's, it's hard to say. You know, there's many would say there's more pressing things. There's this virus for one. And, hmm. it, you know, 
to the extent that we can't multitask, it's 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 hard to sort of grab center stage. I think that um, uh, you know, my hope is simply that um, what talking we're doing now. I'm thinking mostly now about academia that we actually translate into action, and and that's you know, time will tell. Academic leaders out there need to step up and and uh, begin to address. You know, the decades of, um, you know, I won't say systemic racism, that's pretty strong, but there's a lot of uh, uh, hidden biases and, and uh, lots of way, lots of reasons why my field doesn't have uh, many people of color in it. That mm. is a fact. And so it's not like we can argue with it. Right. And so we've got, we've got to figure out why that is and how we can address it. Well said. Well, I, I need to spend a little time also talking to you just about some of the practical uh, points of your bicycling adventure for you know all the fellow bicyclists uh, who, who subscribe right. to the podcast. So let me just tick off a few kind of basic things here. What kind of bike are you riding? I am riding a Surly Disc Trucker, uh, not the recent one that just came out, I think, in July, but or maybe came out just, just recently. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's the last model, and it's 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 great. Um, it's got you know Shimano uh, derailleur, and um, it's got the it's got disc brakes, obviously. Yeah. Um, it served me really well. Uh, in fact, I was totally jazzed when Surly Bikes requested to join my Instagram uh, account. <laughs> with, uh, I've been posting a few pictures. I think you know there was a picture that went around. Uh, that where you can sort of clearly see the surly on it, and uh, yeah, that's probably what piqued their interest. That's great. A sturdy Midwestern bike to, to carry you across the country. I love that's it. right. Um, and then about how many miles do you tackle in a day? Then you know, I I do just I do between fifty and sixty, and you know, again, that's fully loaded. I this is an unassisted trip, um, and you know, I, I'm not I am not a sort of a Type A bike tourer. I never reveal my stats when i talk to myself <laughs> i mean within i met i've met precisely two bike tours uh in the five weeks i've been on the road and the first one you know within five minutes i already knew how many miles he had biked uh, that day <laughs> uh, significantly more than i had and you know i just uh, 50 or 60 is it's a great distance for me because you know it's hot i'm carrying a lot of weight but I feel like I'm making progress, and um, that's the important thing. You know, really, I, yeah, like I said, I'm not a type A, you know, <laughs> I, I really, you know, all these stats and whatnot, I, I'm not out to prove anything to anyone. So. Right, right. You're, you're out there to, to enjoy and uh, for the spirit of adventure and for the, and for the exactly. bird songs and everything else. Exactly. Um, right. So what's been the worst weather or the worst conditions you've faced so far in your, on your journey? Has not really been that bad. I will say I've had a couple rainy mornings and afternoons. And, you know, it's funny. I, I can barely remember them now. They were probably only three weeks away. But it's, you know, and I'm sure bike tours are useless. I basically just rode right through them, you know. The wind was not strong. The rain wasn't too strong. And you just sort of, once you're soaked, you know, you don't, uh, you don't feel anything. So um, I did have one rather catastrophic night in uh, – Indiana, where I failed to check the weather, the evening sky looked 
really nice, but apparently around one o'clock it decided to have a change of mood. And, uh, yes, my fly was not attached to my, uh, REI one man tent. And, uh, I, it was, it was a bath inside that tent. Oh, I mean, I, no. I, I, don't, I don't, it was, but you know, like I said on Twitter, I basically broke every camp rule that, uh, you know, that's, that was available to be broken. And, I learned my lesson and uh, spent the rest of the next day basically drying out. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's uh, it, I'm, I'm for that reason I'm glad I'm doing this solo because yeah, I'm sure whatever partner came along would have long since left. But uh, yeah, so it's but that's honestly it's aside from some heat and uh, you know the occasional sort of mild uh, headwind, it really hasn't been bad. Um, yeah, I could I could take ten degrees cooler and give me a few more tailwinds and I'll be a happy camper. <laughs> and then, what's your most uh, common food? I guess uh, on the bike. Breakfast is often a challenge. Although you know, if I'm in a town, I will make a quick run to the local cafe that the kind that opens at six and feeds the truckers. I have found the eggs and bacon. And hash browns in the Midwest are unsurpassed. Well, there you yeah. bacon. There you go. You yes, that's right. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's that's like my top. And I, and you know, I do think the protein I, that kind of breakfast will make for a, a better day of biking. Um, when I'm on my own, it's more cereal. I use powdered milk. Uh, I was I actually planned ahead today. I have some orange juice for the morning. So um, yeah, it's uh, and then and then dinners. Um, not to push any particular brand, but I've absolutely fallen in love with these backpackers pantry, uh, one bag dishes. They are so good, so easy to make. And the two servings is perfect for me. I can just basically chow the whole thing down. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, and it actually tastes really good. They've got a bunch of different flavors and, uh, that solves dinner and lunch, you know, lunch is, if I'm in a convenient spot, I'll, I'll sit down for a sandwich at a, at a uh, you know, a chain store or whatever. Um, or I will grab some of my, you know, three-day-old bread and peanut butter and jelly and make something on the fly. <laughs> That's great. Well, that uh, that sounds, yeah, you, you've got the combination down. So I'll, I'll be <laughs> interested to hear hear the result once you reach the West Coast, how the meals have changed. But Yeah, um, right. <laughs> Right. So I want to dig a little bit into kind of your core specialty. You know, you're a professor of biology and you study bird evolution, and I'm sure I'll mangle something about this, but I'm just how you interested in how you see the journey through that lens, too, because there was one place when I was just kind of brushing up on your background. I think you had the goal. I don't maybe you fulfilled it since then, but you said you want to some you want to be able to demonstrate that all the world's songbirds got their start in Australia, which would be more than half the birds in the world. Now, I probably got many things wrong in there, but I'm just kind of fascinated by how intensely you study bird and bird evolution and then maybe what that means for just how you hear and see the landscape on this ride. Yeah, well, you know, um, bird evolution is really a fascinating topic. And um, in the last, uh, you know, 30 years, it's been uh, elevated by lots of cool studies using genetics. That's what I do. Uh, and also lots of cool studies using fossils. I mean, we know more about the transition from dinosaurs to birds than almost any transition in vertebrate evolution. I mean, the stages that non-flying 
dinosaurs, uh, how they evolved into feathered flying birds is it's, it's extraordinary the, the transformation. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and the link with Australia is, you know, a big paradigm in biology is sort of what we call tree thinking. And that's basically thinking about the idea that different species are not aligned against one another up, like going up a ladder, for example, basically all species on the planet are united by a, genealogical tree sort of a family tree and of course darwin had this idea and that concept is extremely profound and it's very useful as i bike across the landscape you know different species sort of represent different branches of this tree and i can think for example that hey that's blue jay that just called well its roots go but going back in time actually do go back all the way to australia you know um it's uh, Australia is like the the wellspring of a lot of uh, sort of crow-like birds, big black birds like crows. Hmm. Sorry, sorry about that cicada. Hopefully, it's, uh, okay. it's the uh, cicada wants its attention too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, it's it's a fascinating field, and um, you know, using genetics to study evolution also tells us a lot about how we can use evolution to understand pressing human problems, and so. You know, although my research focuses on very, some might argue, very esoteric things, uh, it's definitely the case that if we want to solve pressing societal problems in agriculture, in medicine, and, you know, frankly, this this COVID virus, we have to think about evolution. If To the extent that we ignore evolution, we're just going to be barking up the wrong tree. So it's I think of evolution not as sort of a fringe idea that only some of biology uses it's really i would argue the core idea that unites all of biology some scientists use it to a greater or lesser extent but um i think gradually the field is changing and and basically every biologist acknowledges evolution at some level in his or her studies yeah no it's this fascinating stuff and i have to admit it did cross my mind when i was thinking about this interview about uh just uh, birds and transmissibility of virus and that sort of a thing so i want i wondered what you brought up uh as you know just one tiny corner of, of all this um you know that's right more i mean more I, I also wondered so when you're bicycling through these different regions of the country uh, you, you probably notice in more detail like say you're biking in the vicinity of walden pond back where you live versus biking across you know, western Iowa or the Lus Hills or something. I mean, you hear the change in the prevalence of birds, and you, you, you bird songs are the thing that, that you hear first before the rustle of the wind or something else? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually really a fun opportunity to be spending so much time outside uh, along roadsides. And, yeah, um, I, I think it's very important in my classes and in my teaching to get students outside. I mean, you know, what activity, uh, like ornithology, it, I mean, you couldn't imagine teaching it without going on field trips and without going outside. So I think knowing your local birds is, it's a really important thing. I mean, I think to even five species that might occur in your backyard, I think it's really important to kind of know, know them and know what's, know what our neighbors are. For me, you know, I'm lucky enough to sort of know even species that I haven't seen uh before i'll often have an idea that that's what i'm seeing because 
I'm in the right place or uh, I hear, uh, I see a behavior that tips me off as to what they might be. So, uh, yeah, it's just been fascinating. And, and even today I saw a new uh, species for the trip. I saw a blue grosbeak, which hmm. is a, I've been seeing a lot of these uh, birds. They're called indigo buntings. They're small, bright blue birds. They're absolutely gorgeous. Extremely common all through the Midwest. And this was this blue grosbeak is like a larger cousin. It's uh, it's bigger and it's got some uh, brown in the wings. And anyway, I was super excited. I texted my birding friends immediately just to increase their jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so, I mean, are you? I mean, you're chronicling this on Twitter. I mean, do would you think you were going to have some kind of a, uh, I mean, a, a white paper or a report or, or something from all this? Will you put together a photo album? Or I, I don't know. Did you go into this thinking you wanted to preserve the adventure in a particular way besides you know social media, which now is is part of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I it'd be great to write a book. I think lots of people have ridden across the country before, but, and each, each ride has its own perspective. And so whether that actually happens is not clear. <laughs> I've sort of been trained to write in short packets, short scientific articles, which writing a book is, yeah, it's a different mode that I'm not used to, but I think I'd be able to certainly reach a much bigger audience if I did that. Um, for now, yeah, Twitter, uh, you know, beyond my, wildest expectations twitter is serving to be a useful um vehicle to just let people know what's going on to get them inspired i've gotten lots of notes saying hey this is really inspiring keep up the uh, the tweets and um i don't know how many i'm i'm not sufficiently hooked into the biking world do many people tweet their cross-country bike trips probably i would imagine yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would. I don't know if it like the is the primary social media of the cross country bicyclist, but uh, yeah, many it, there's a, there's a biking culture on there, um, as there is everywhere. I mean, although journalism and politics is what dominates Twitter, obviously, but it's uh, let yeah. me say this: it's I'm it's so refreshing to have you on there. So <laughs> oh. yeah, I appreciate I appreciate seeing the little moments from your day. Like I say, just uh, uh, there was one recently where you filmed a bird song uh, from a bird on a uh, an electric wire, and you know those those little moments like that are uh, refreshing to have in the Twitter feed. Yeah, it's not high quality video. Um, in fact. In fact <laughs> And this is important, an important kind of lesson from uh, bird watching. It's really more about hearing stuff. And so I'm mostly taking the videos so I can record the sound. And that often gives you more information about what you're looking at than the tiny little object that I might capture on my iPhone. Right. True. True enough. Now, I think, as far as I know, I think you're headed for the Oregon coast. I don't know how you uh, developed your route and if you're sticking to it uh, closely or if it's kind of serendipitous, but what what's the rest of your route and how did you choose it? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, so my daughter uh, did a east to west cross-country ride about two years ago, had a great time. It was with a group that was raising money for cancer. She, I think, clocked in four thousand miles. She went up. Wow. In, she went up to Montana and then into. They were close to Seattle, and then they were. Then they went down to uh, Portland, Oregon. So it was, you know, not the most direct route. I, I think it's fair to say I'm taking as direct a route as I could manage. 
I know that's that's probably a huge disappointment to people, but it's kind of a contradiction. It's like, well, but um, yeah. I, so what I did was I, I'm using some Adventure Cycling Association maps, but of course, to get from like Newburyport, where I started in Massachusetts, to the first uh, Northern Tier segment, I had to sort of make my own route. I've been using uh, Google Maps a bit, and also Kamut this app. You know. I would say, well, I don't want to, especially Kamut. I know they're trying to build a following. You know, any app is going to have its downsides. And, of course, there's no uh, replacement for just local knowledge. I mean, talking mm. to people is by far the best uh, information. So, yeah, I've done the northern tier a bit, and then I had to break off that in order to um, head through Iowa. I wanted to stop at Ames, Iowa uh, for uh, – uh, extended layover and um, did that and then had to get across western Iowa to hook up with the Lewis and Clark uh, ACA route and so I'm going to take this up to uh, about Fort Thompson on the west using the Parks, Prairies and Peaks ACA route I think that'll take me through uh, northern Wyoming um, and, uh, and then I'm going to probably hook up with the Lewis and Clark route again once I get towards the Columbia. So it's kind of a, a hodgepodge. And, um, yeah, I've already learned a lot, some lessons, you know. Um, yeah, I <laughs> won't go through them extensively, but, yeah, you you learn. Like I said, there's no replacement for local knowledge. And I would say getting across western Iowa without going on Highway 30, which is where Ames was, that was a real challenge. Mm. Mostly because you're – you're, you're guaranteed to hit some gravel roads, which I'm not afraid of gravel, but I am. I can't do soft, mushy, stony gravel. I don't think anyone can. And uh, I ran into a lot of that uh, in Western Iowa. I saw, I, you know, I wish I had had the benefit of local knowledge then. Um, and I'm sure once I say that, a hundred people can say, oh, you should have done X, Y, or Z. <laughs> Typical day, you're like, uh, you, yeah, you might not see anyone on the road for hours. So easier said than done. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, well, this has been so fun. Well, I, well one thing I was going to ask, I mean, you, your daughter had done a cross-country trip already. Did she give you any advice before you departed? Yeah, she did. I mean, choosing my bike, for one, I mean, I... I, I, I said, I, I texted her, she's up in Burlington, Vermont, and I texted her and, you know, I just said, what kind of bike should I get? And she said, she un, unsolicited, she said, you should get a Surly. And actually, I had been looking at Surleys really, really closely, and that, that basically sealed the deal. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's going to be a Surly. And, um, yeah, she also, you know, warned me about the typical things, the hydration, the, you know, getting good gloves to keep the circulation going and um i asked her the other day you know how did you get through iowa because i was having such a hard time um, (laughs) she said well she basically did the uh around the uh latitude of um of des moines which you know a little farther south than i did and somehow yeah that worked out for her but um yeah she was very she's been very inspirational and um yeah it's uh, I'm 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 still in awe of what she accomplished. I salute you, and this has been a lot of fun to catch up on your journey. Thanks for taking the time live from the road to uh, talk about all this, Scott. And I hope you have abundant tailwinds for <laughs> for the rest of the way, uh, and a lot of 
time to coast downhill too. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So we'll be following you on Twitter and, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, Surly will be following you and, uh, you'll have, uh, by the time you get to the, to the, uh, to the coast, you're going to have uh, a lot of people who are be curious to hear just more about the whole trip uh, that you took. So anyway, best of luck, Scott. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer. Brian Powers is the show's producer, and the Just Go Bike podcast is brought to you by the Des Moines Register, a part of the USA Today Network.